That song has been stuck in my head for ages. It's CKY 96 Quite Bitter Beans. I think that's what it's called. But I don't know why. Every time, like, in my head when I'm walking and trying to do stuff, I, like, always have a theme song. So, um, this is Awkward People Chat. And you've probably know what it's like if you're an awkward person yourself in social situations but you do stuff because you're there and you'd rather sit in silence so you fill your mind with like other thoughts so if you're not overthinking the fact that you know maybe you look weird right now and and people are looking at you and thinking you're weird so if you're not if you didn't get into that spiral you you get other things to help occupy your mind Uh, and one of my things is to think about songs the music I like to play the song in my head and if you've ever seen Ghost, you see that Whoopi Goldberg at the beginning is like listening to the song over and over and over again and trying to write down the lyrics. And that's what I do in my head. If, I, if I've if i heard songs before, I try to piece together the lyrics in my head and I like play it over and over and I just, yeah, that's just what I do to fill time. And that song has been one. England went down. This is a new segment. No, so I'm recording this um, after just watching the highlights of Samoa, Tour Samoa uh, Rugby League men's uh, beating England in the semi semi-finals. So Samoa will go on to beat uh, to beat. Ooh, that's a big statement. It will go on to play Australia uh, next week in the grand final for the Rugby League World Cup and. Last night, the best time of my life, another heartbreaker uh, for the other teams involved, but also a freaking, ing- oh man, my heart cannot take this anymore, um, the women's Black Ferns Rugby, and I've been saying this since forever, the greatest team to ever exist in Aotearoa, the only team to be as dominant for as long as they have, even with minimal support, um, but anyway, so they... Like if you remember back a couple of weeks ago, they played France and that came down to like the last 20 seconds. It was a missed penalty from France and then regaining possession for the Black Ferns and then kicking it out, which was like a one point defeat. Uh, And then this week in the grand final against England, holy hecker, that came down to literally the last, like the full time had gone. Uh, England had been scoring how many tries off their malls. Their malls were incredible and their hooker was just scoring uh, Oh, man, they, they were incredible. Like, the rugby, the level of rugby, women's rugby, uh, the 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 refing, just everything about it is so much just visually, I find way more spectacular to watch than men's rugby. Um, and I've always said it, said it since forever. The Black Ferns are my favourite team, always have been, always have supported women's rugby, uh, being a part of it, um, like coaching with women's rugby, but then just watching it and just knowing that they are just so incredible and to be able to do what they have been doing without the support from the nation because obviously no one thought uh, women's rugby deserved the same support that the All Blacks did because we're fucked, that's really why. Um, yeah, it was just, it was amazing. I was watching that and it was one of those games and this is where you know you love this so much where like the rugby was so good that of course I'd be upset if the Black Ferns lost. I want them to win so much. But it was the same when they were playing France. The rugby was just so good that both teams deserved to win. 
So if, like, at the end of the day, women's rugby is the winner, I know that's such a cliche thing to say, but, oh, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. I'm still on a high from that. And they're just characters. Like, they're, they're people you can get behind. They're a team that you can get behind. They're not a brand. Like, they're not a brand like the All Blacks. You know, when the All Blacks win, it's like, oh, yeah, we did the job. Yeah, 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 yeah. But when the Black Ferns win, that's a bunch of individuals that, you know, you know are just out there having a good time and they haven't, you know, there's there's not the same structures in place to keep them as this marketable brand. They're just a bunch of people doing what they love, loving what they do and growing uh, that. So that other, you know, women, other girls growing up can see that it's a viable pathway and that, you know, you're not ostracized for choosing that because it's a men's sport. Get the fuck out of here. Anyway, sorry, that's some aggression right there. But England, ka aroha, like um, your women's team were so impressive uh, and, you know, for your rug- men's rugby league team to go down to Samoa, uh, that's also yeah, not the bus. But anyway, uh, I'm just going to catch you up. It's been a while. It's been ages since I've recorded because I recorded a couple because I knew I was going away. And I'll talk about those reasons for going away, but I'm going to catch you up because this is my life and this is everything that I go through and how my mind works. Let's get it. So let's start immediately, like this timeline is going to go all over the place and that is because I have been all over the place. I haven't recorded a solo episode, even though they've been coming out, I haven't recorded a solo episode for maybe over a month now and I've been through a lot since then. The first is that I went to Specsavers, yes, I got an eye test because uh, I was doing a bit of travel, I was getting a bit tired uh, and I was in a lot of conferences and over that time I started getting headaches really, really bad and I just thought... You know, I was tired, and you know when you get a headache, and the first thing people say is like, "Have you drunk enough water?" Yes, I've drunk enough water. All I do is drink water. But anyway, uh, so I checked that, and um, yeah, I was just going from different light, uh, having to read a lot of things on my computer, uh, on the conference slides, uh, people showing me their phones and and apps and stuff, and. Yeah, I was doing that and I just realized like, holy crap, like this is taking a lot of strain on my eyes and it honestly felt like my eyes had, had DOMS or something and like the, they were dry, no, they had moisture, like they were good, they didn't feel dry, I thought maybe it was my allergies and that could have been it because that was a, that's viable, right, you know, maybe my eyes, my hay fever is just getting in the way and making them feel weird and making everything blurry, but it was just... It's taking my eyes so long to adjust to anything that I was trying to read. It's like, you know, when you have your phone and you're trying to focus on something. So every time you click it and you can see the camera, the inner workings of the camera, like you can almost hear it. It's like, just like trying to focus in on the things that you're trying to read. I was having that on my own eyeballs. And I know for all of you who wear glasses already and and live this life, um, it's not a big deal. But when you've, you know, always thought that you had really good vision, uh, and then that starts to happen, like it's just almost an immediate thing where like you go from being able to read everything to then just like, oh fuck, like I don't know, shit am I going blind, like holy crap, like it's a scary thing, uh, and I'm, I'm going to put it out there, right, I'm a health person, but a lot of those things I don't get checked because I'm scared that one, it's going to cost a lot, or two, it could be something worse, which is really bad because you're meant to get it checked early so that you can have early prevention so that it doesn't get to that point. But, you know, there's a bit of a fear around, like, what if it is something bad? And um, so that's something I, I kind of just, you know, bit my tongue and went in for it. Uh, so I booked in an eye 
exam, is that what they're called? An eye exam, you know, they, they squirted my eye with um, air just to be if, see if I had glaucoma. And I went to, so this is not a plug for Specsavers, but it's only, I went to Specsavers because my boy Nige from the CrossFit gym, shout out Nige, the most ripped, like, the most ripped over 50-year-old you'll ever meet. Uh, but yeah, he he owns this one. So I, I went in and I got my eyes checked and, you know, because I've never really properly had them checked, it was an <laughs> it was an eye opener, but it was. I I went in. I went to go see, and I did my testing. And like, you know, when a doctor is checking something and goes, hmm, like that noise, and then we do all the rest of the tests, and just like you have to come back to that original test. That's what I knew. I was like, oh gosh, take my money. This is going to happen. Um, but my left eye is like pretty messed up, so. I have just been carrying the load with my right eye, poor right eye, it's just been like actually getting so swole uh, while my left eye is actually like barely working, um, so yeah we did all the tests, my right eye was like kind of okay but then when we'd switch some stuff up and look at the colour gradient stuff, blah, 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 um, yeah it was not looking too good and then when I did everything with my left eye, holy heck. That was ridiculous. So yeah, he's just like, okay, we're going to have to prevent this, especially because of the amount that I'm doing on my screen. And it was weird, like after knowing that I'm going to have to get glasses so and, and wear them all the time, I'm actually going there straight after this to go sort that out. Um, it's, I had this weird like wanting to cry because I've always prided myself on like being a happy, a happy person, a healthy person uh, and doing everything that I can to like make sure that you know, I don't need assistance for anything like that, but I think it just requires me to change my attitude towards that in general, um, and that, you know, I'm getting this so that it doesn't get worse. I'm, I'm preventing any further complications that could happen with my eyeballs, like I'm trying to preserve the vision that I do have, so, yeah, that was, that was, a, that was heavy. But anyway, uh, before all of that, so, so what led me to that point is I went overseas, and this is something that I have been needing to do and wanting to do, uh, but I've just felt trapped. Like, I I didn't realize until I left that uh, just how trapped I was feeling. And I'm not going to talk too much about the trip, because that was my time um, for myself, and I had the best time, that's all I'm going to say. Um, but I felt so trapped, and, and when I left, it was the differences in me for... That's when I realized, you know, I've been, like wow, I was really, really bad. Um, it's like, it's almost like, I'm going to use that analogy, it's almost like when they put on the corrective glasses and then I did all the tests again and I could like actually see. And there was just so much clarity and, and everything started to make sense to me and I started to see what things I need to prioritize, what things never prioritized me but I put so much time into them um, and just, you know, feeling like you can breathe again. Even though I went to a place that probably is a little bit dirty but... You know, I, I, I'll tell you this. I would walk around everywhere without my headphones on. So I could just, I was in the present. I wasn't trying to hide from my surroundings. I said hi to everyone that I came across. I was extremely extroverted. Like I was just going around and, and asking for things because I was by myself a lot of the time while I was there. And just knowing that, um, that I think that's a clear sign that I was stoked to be with it, where I was and I was actually there to be in the present. Um, and after feeling trapped, it's hard to know that you're feeling trapped. When I was talking about, remember when I talked about the flame and it's hard to know when you're getting cold 
And it's hard to know when you've been away for so long until you actually get back into the flame and start feeling like, oh man, I was cold. You know, I didn't start, I didn't realize how trapped I was until I felt like I could finally be me again. And all it took was just me take, taking myself out of where I am. You know, I went to a place where nobody knew who I was. Actually, that's a lie. I ran into so many people that I knew. Um, but I didn't, you know, no one knew who I was. No one expected anything of me. And I could just do the work that I needed to do. Uh, no one was pulling me into meetings. No one, you know, everyone knew that I was gone. So no one was just, you know, expecting that I would do some stuff for them. And, and it was the best thing ever. And this is socially as well. Like, fuck, it's like I felt like I could breathe. And then when I got back, it immediately came back. Like all of that stuff flooded back. And I, you know, after that first week, I pretty much landed. And then the next day I uh, had a conference, which was an awesome conference. But the funny thing was when I was coming back over, this is a funny story, I was on the plane all the way back. And there was a guy who was at my international uh, plane and then he was at my domestic plane. So um, Melbourne to Christchurch, Christchurch to Dunedin. One guy, and he's just stood out. Like there was something about him. It really, really stood out. Tall dude, uh, just seemed really nice, like an older older gentleman. And then when I saw him on the plane to Dunedin, I was like, ah, oh, okay, I wonder what he's here for. Turns out he was the keynote speaker for the Indigenous Science Conference that I was going to on the Wednesday. And he was like, oh, you were on my plane from Melbourne. I couldn't forget that mel- that mullet anywhere. So that really broke the ice. And I was like, wow, like this is this is probably something that needed to happen. And then these are just to remind me how small this world is. And, and like the reach, I guess, maybe that I have with a bunch of people or just that like you're meant to be connected to some people because... There, there are so many people that you're going to cross every single day, right? And you're not going to take notice of a bunch of them, but you will take notice of a few. And I think those few people continue to exist within your circles. And I don't like, this is not a conspiracy or anything, but I think energies draw energy uh, and you, you know, you, you take notice of certain people. So anyway, there was that. This symposium was unbelievable. So it was a research group that I used to be a part of, the Indigenous Science Research Team, Te Koronga. Uh, I was part of them. And Anne-Marie Jackson is one of the greatest people to ever walk this earth. She pretty much saved my life. Uh, like truly saved my life. Like I was in probably the darkest point of my life and she was the first person that I thought to text because, you know, I was like, okay, I don't, I don't know who to talk to. And she sorted everything for me. Like she's unbelievable and, uh, yeah, really took care of me. Um, but anyway, that's besides the point. She um, has started, you know, she started the Indigenous Research Theme uh, and now they're going to go into a department or a centre now. So they're breaking away um, from the university or from the university departments they were in uh, and going off and doing their own thing. But there were amazing people here, like just hearing people speak. So coming back into this country, uh, coming back into Dunedin and going to one of those where you have the likes of uh, Linda Tuhiwai-Smith who wrote Decolonizing Methodologies. Uh, so talking about actually bringing kaupapa Māori theory uh, into your research and being okay with that and not you know, breaking when your ethics committee tells you like, no, nah, you can't do that because you know uh, the relational stuff might... And, might cause some sort of bias or anything what she tried to say is that that's a western paradigm like this is early days as well so publishing this like now we listen to it and we're like oh that makes so much sense of course you would do that but it was because of people like this that we think that way that it's normal now to bring that part of you and even though it seems normal and a lot of people are doing it we still have to fight for it to kind of be normal because people will question the validity of it for a long time but Having someone like her speak and talking about her journey, the things that she had to go through, and I think I have it difficult, but 
honestly, like the amount of fight that you have to do just to maybe get like some mention of Tetsuriti or um, just small things, like small wins of, of being able to put like the words koha onto something or just slowly infiltrating more and more of who we are and our identity into the work that we do uh, without having to play as much of the white man's game as possible. So th- like her, hearing her speak, like that all, she was the first speaker, pretty much made my day. Like I didn't have to be there for the rest of it, but the rest of it I did stay with because it was amazing. Uh, the Tukoronga students themselves, like people that I would study with when I was coming through my degree, and just seeing where they're heading off to, it was almost like a big reunion, and it was good to see them. Uh, Mayhana Jury was also there, and he had this oh, the most amazing conversation about Tapu and Noa. And, and if you just like, if you know, if you think about it enough, like that can pretty much determine how you should be acting all of the time. And then I started to look at my own boundaries and look at so more along the lines of actually knowing where my boundaries were with people. Uh, and that's going to save a lot of my energy because if I, you know, if you never know your boundaries, then your people are always going to overstep them. And I know a lot of people are listening to this, being like, "Yeah, of course you're meant to," but if you think of it as tapu and noa, which if you strongly adhere to that, like we all do, and you have your processes to make sure that you know you don't sacrifice your tapu or, or you don't do anything to to trample the tapu or the mana mana of other people, but also thinking about what that means to yourself. Um, then that's extremely important. And if you don't put up those boundaries, then other people can just come and stomp on you all day. And that's why I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling is because I've just been in a place where we've never set those boundaries for ourselves. It's always just do as much as you can because you have to, because if you don't, someone else will have your job. Or, Or like that, you know, something to that effect. And what that does is it just makes you feel kind of disposable. And then your mana as a person is then kind of translated into um, you know how what your work output is not knowing that everything we bring is part like we we are born with that tapu and mana and the more that we think it's external things that give us that validity uh, the less that we will actually have that respect for ourselves so understanding those boundaries and he had not, he, he wasn't talking about your workspace or anything but you know when you take something and it's a concept that you can then apply to your life those are the most powerful conversations so uh, that was awesome to have that and yeah I think I think having that the day that I came back was extremely exhausting but at the same time it was so refreshing because it reminded me that when I walk back into the space I need to be clear with who I work with and what I actually do for other people because it's going to be, um, yeah, I mean, I can do a lot and I have a very set skill set that not many people in the world have but everyone's always going to have opportunities for me because I'm this young person um, where, yeah, they'll, they'll make you feel like you need them when I think if you like properly assess your worth, you realise that they actually need you. And I know that sounds like you're not being humble and you're meant to be humble and you have that humility. Um, but at the same time, I think we do need to understand that. Otherwise, people will just trample the fuck out of you. Um, cool. So that finishes. The days, two days after, we're hosting Seriana Naipi. Uh, and she is, if you go look her up, look her up right now. She has a website. Uh, but she launched into the pay gender equity gap. So if you've seen uh, anything here in Aotearoa about the uh, white male, white Pacific Maori or uh, white female, white Pacific female. Um, she launched the investigation into the equity, uh, pay gender equity gap, uh, as well as pay ethnicity 
um, equity gap. And it's pretty funny because she did that, but the guy that I work with, the main guy that I work with, he did all the stats for it. So I've known all about this stuff for a very long time, but I didn't put two and two together that it was her who led that. So she's a bit of a a bit of an icon, actually. So it's funny because we're, we're at friends level. Like I'm at friends level with so many of the different people and they're just amazing people and I just call them by their first name and everyone else is like, oh my gosh. But like I get introduced to them in the most informal settings of all time. Um, but anyway, we hosted her for two two days as well. So I had to be on. Like my brain had to be like because she looks at a lot of higher education, higher level stuff. So like I look at the funding that I can get to help me survive. She looks at the people who like from the government, get all of this money, how that money's distributed, what policies are in line so that this is then entitled to that, this is then entitled to that. She brings tables to, so she brings chairs to those tables for people like me to be able to thrive and to make sure that the likes of Pacific, the likes of Māori, the likes of um, minority groups aren't left out of these conversations. She said it to me then, if your voice is not considered, if your voice, sorry, is not brought to the consultations, they take that as everything is okay. The only problem is you're never invited. So if you're not invited, then your voice isn't going to be there. And then they're just going to assume that it's all good. And then that's just going to further and further the equity gap. So that's just like the small things that we have to deal with. And then you always think like, oh, why can't they just work harder? It's because, like I said there, it's at an operational systems level that a lot of this stuff is actually not considered. Uh, so anyway, we hosted her for two days and that was intense. It was so cool, but just like my brain was fried because all of these people operate at the highest frequencies and I'm a very slow thinker. Like, I... <sighs> Slow thinker, but in-depth thinker. I think I think deeply about a lot of things, but things don't hit me till quite a bit later. Uh, so I'll send an email like maybe an hour or two after the um, after the meeting just to write down my thoughts and then put it out there just to see what other people thought as well. So anyway, we had that. Uh, and then the week after, so I pretty much had a week, a weekend to unpack and unwind, do my washing, you know, all that good stuff. Uh and eat a lot of cereal. I've been eating so much cereal. But anyway, then I just got back, literally just got back from Auckland where I then had a Pacific Data Sovereignty Conference uh, where we talk about you know the use of data, the production of data, um, big corporations, who's, who are, who's holding the data, do we actually have sovereignty if we have, you know, just all of those philosophical discussions, but actually practical discussions. So Stats and Z was there, we had all of the different ministries, Ministry of Health, Ministry for Pacific Peoples, all of those people coming together and people who use big data sources, but people just really who collect any sort of data. And one of the questions, so I, I presented on our project because we're using multiple Data sets, uh, data sets to look at projections for if we increase uh, parental education, what's going to happen to all these different health outcomes, um, and that's what we do. We look at big data. We look at uh, administrative data, which is by stats NZ, and then we also look at um, longitudinal data from different data sets. And when you're talking about data, you know, you only think about those numbers on an Excel sheet. You don't think about every single thing. Like I, I've made, I've done an entire episode on how your emotions are data. They tell you stuff about where you are. Um, they tell you about, you know, they tell you about what's good, what's bad, and they, they then inform your next decision. That's exa- that's data. And one of the questions I got, so I presented on my thing uh, on our project and like everyone loved it. So that was, pr- that was kind of cool. Uh, but 
one of the main things that I took away from it and it was one of the questions is how do we get more people involved in this data space because there's only going to be a few people and the smaller amount of people you have, the less consultation you actually have with people who represent a wider group of community and I just said, I think we need to change the language around data because everyone was probably listening to this and my exact quote was that when we think about data, I mean, I was talking about myself. The first time someone talked to me about working with big data, I imagined everyone putting on a coat, going into Dexter's laboratory, laboratory, typing into these huge computers and like matrix script coming down and that you had to have a very, very like specific knowledge about what data was. But if we change the language and we see that it's everything that you can get involved with, your name, your stories, um, what makes you tick, what makes other people tick, seeing what's good, what's bad for the communities. That's all data, and we're collecting data all the time, but we might not necessarily be data scientists. If we think about our ancestors, they were all data scientists because they had to be able to take in multiple accounts of um, food stocks, when foods would grow best. Like they knew how everything worked. That was just data, and they knew that around these times, so they could do cause and effect. If this happens at this time, we need to do this so that that doesn't happen and this does happen. That's all data. That's all stuff that's been stored in repositories for long, long periods of time. So if we can change that narrative, then everyone becomes a data scientist uh, and then we can all kind of you know have a little chat about how that all goes. But anyway, it was a really cool trip. I'm naked. I'm so tired. I don't want to feel trapped again. I might have glasses in the next month. That was all over the place. I just wanted to put out where I was. If you took something away from this episode, I love you. If you didn't, I also love you. Uh, go, everyone else. If you're listening to this right now, I'm honestly in another conference about lessons learned through the COVID pandemic for our academic staff. Uh, that is where I'm going to be. That's where I'll be. Am I happy? I think so. Um, and I'm looking forward to catching up with you. I have some really cool interviews coming up really shortly, uh, so you'll enjoy those. Um, and yeah, anyway, take care of yourselves. That was all over the place, but love you. Thank you for joining.